Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we are developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. So, Mike, have you spent much time on the Mississippi River? <laughs> have I spent much time on the Mississippi River? Uh, I think that we've endeavored to see almost every lock and dam. Seen. Have you gone through them? I've gone through at least two that I can think of. You've been checking them off your bucket list here? I, I went through one. Did you really? Number seven. Yeah, lock. I, is that the one by the Stone Arch Bridge? I think that's number seven. Because Obama shut down, <laughs> what is it, number nine? Oh, no, whatever the number is, all the numbers are all messed up. I do remember that. Yeah, I was on the, I was on a boat in the Mississippi River this weekend. Tell me more. Well, how'd you, how'd you finagle that one? I mean, it's just a thing that you can do in the Twin Cities, man. Yeah, a uh, houseboat? Uh, no, it was a like Mississippi Queen, so it looked like a oh, paddle yeah. boat, even though it had a rotor motor. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They, they, nothing if not trying to return to the era of Tom Sawyer. I mean, that's that's what everybody thinks of with locks, right? Get a little gambling and a little bit of a player piano in the background, you know. I think that's that's exactly the point. I mean, that's that's the uh, the whole ambiance that they try and get in Iowa with riverboat gambling. Mm, yeah, exactly. Well, it was an interesting way to see the city, a different viewpoint than I'd seen it before. So that was kind of fun. First time that I've been in a lock, I believe. Really. Yeah, seen them before, but first time I think I've ever been in one. I guess you've probably never taken the Erie Canal anywhere. <laughs> no, and no interest. I'm trying to think of where else you would have been in a lock. You haven't gone through Panama. Uh, St. Lawrence. I know that we spent like a half a day and I was like mesmerized by the locks because it, it's amazing seeing the like really amazingly gigantic ships go through them and then like yes. <laughs> little dinghies <laughs> i know i love i love when it's like uh, you know because they'll do it for a dude in a rowboat yeah <laughs> like like huge lock you know like normally this is for barges but i guess go for it buddy <laughs> i mean that's what they said they were saying pretty funny things on the boat as they were going it's like yeah well, anyone from a canoe up to a full barge full of full of coal can use these things for free and then it's like the next sentence is like, for some reason, Obama decided to shut one of these down. It's like, oh, oh, you mean that like using these to bring canoes up? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird that they don't like that, huh? Who knew? Army Corps of Engineers could be used a little bit better than that. No, it's it is a great it is a great system. Very mesmerizing. Strongly agree. Absolutely. So the recent episode of silicon valley and the toxic assets talk has got me thinking about trade markets and fantasy <laughs> <laughs> and selling off toxic assets to, to other folks how do you typically feel if you somehow uh finagle a, a trade that ends up getting rid of some of your toxic assets i i, I don't know that's that's not really my style of trade and i, I don't think it's really your style of trade either although you have 
currently unloaded what was not at the time realized, but is now the most toxic trade thus far of the season. Well, I mean, both sides. I mean, I, I got Starling Marte Good. for Cole Hamels. Yeah, but you knew you knew Starling Marte was that things were iffy there. Oh, yes. No, I, I, I knew that he was on the um, suspended list, which yeah. is a drag on the roster. That it is so hard to play down a player. That is a serious toxic assets situation. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because there are some guys who clearly have no qualms about unloading toxic asset. Oh, yeah. I love hearing the trade. The trade's like, oh, my God, this guy hit four home runs last week. Let's why don't I give him to you for your underperforming keeper asset? So this week on the pod, Eric is going to tackle the elephant in the room here, the DL. We're going to weigh in, give our two cents, try and come at it from a little bit of the fantasy tools-ish perspective. And then I'm going to keep talking about stat stabilization, pushing down to a little bit of the pitch-by-pitch level. Take it away, Eric. I've had enough of this DL stuff. No more wire hangers. (laughs) I smell something fishy, (laughs) and I know it's not walleye. Uh, This week, Trevor Cahill went on the DL midweek when I was expecting some Ks, and I think the new DL paradigm is to blame. So a quick step back, I should mention to our listeners that this is the first year that the league has implemented a 10-day DL. Uh, This is on the heels of the recent 7-day concussion DL that was introduced in 2011. Previously, and at the same time, the DL options were just... 15 and 60 days. A 15-day DL stint is essentially two and a half weeks for a hitter and two-plus starters for a starting pitcher. A 60-day DL stint is often longer than the actual number, which is already nearly a third of, of the season. Yeah, usually 60-day DL stint means he's gone for a long time. Fantasy baseball typically has DL spots that can be very strategic, but perhaps the new rule change is wreaking havoc. So, Mike, what does your gut say about the DL? My gut says that the MLB is not done tweaking this rule yet. Mm, mm. I'm wondering if the MLB is going to look at the rash of pitchers hitting the DL so that they can that they can miss one start and think about doing a imbalanced DL. For instance, a 15 day for a pitcher and a 10 day for batters. Cause the 10 day seems to kind of be working out for batters. Although I don't know, maybe you'll tell me more about this, but my gut feeling says that they're rushing everybody back off of the 10 day DL, particularly the batters. And they're trying to take advantage on the pitching side of just skipping one start well we might yeah we're gonna have to wait a little bit on on some of that full analysis but i think that you're you're onto something um so gut though are you feeling like there are more people on the dl yeah are you feeling like they're on there for longer stints no was it a good idea that our league added a third dl spot maybe and will you ever get Beltre in a Wrath of Khan jersey again? No. <laughs> there we go. That's some quick hitters there for you. <laughs> so I spent a bunch of time today picking over the internet for reasonable 
DL data source. It's a bit difficult because there, there aren't a lot of tabular data sources online with uh, DL data. A lot of it is like they separate it really oddly by team or they wrap it into transactions in general. And it's just really, really hard to parse. But I did, after a little while, I found a decent resource on Fox Sports. Thank you to Elliot Carver's Real World Inspiration. That it has the data by month across years. So it's a bit of a tricky interface. And I had to rig a web scraping routine in Python that would ping the web page and iterate across a list of months and across a list of DL codes. So four month in months for DL code in DL codes. This is a nightmare. <laughs> I it's it's long. It's long and good thing that we have um fast internet these days cuz if this was, <laughs> this was dial up, oh my gosh, it would take forever. And there are four DL codes according to the website, the HTML in the website. There's one for 7 days, 10 days, 15 and 60. You know, why would things be easy? So what was I able to find? <laughs> it Unfortunately, what I found is what everybody warned me I would find, which is it's too early to say anything conclusively. You know, we cannot, we cannot disprove the null hypothesis yet. So there's going to be, we're going to come back to this when we've built up more um, data points to compare. But I am confident saying that we are on track for more DL visits this year. The data is showing that we are nearing, in mid-May, mind you, only about a third of the way through the season, the 50% mark in DL visits from 2016. So we're on a, uh, <laughs> on a steep trajectory. So I think the most telling thing that I put together, unfortunately, is a quick histogram that overlays 2017 DL trips on 2016 DL trips. Any thoughts, MP? Anything you're noticing that looks interesting? Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, a lot of guys have been were thrown on the 10-day DL early this year um, and carried even into the start of the season on the 10-day DL guys that weren't they weren't sure they were going to get back. I mean, Adrian Beltre has been on the 10-day DL. That is, like, laughable <laughs> at this point. Well... Yeah, so what's interesting about this graph is that you see it, we've got in blue, we've got 2016, and you've got like hardly anything, hardly anything ramp up in April, and then kind of numbers kind of jump around from high teens to mid-20s for the rest of the season until September when there's no point to be putting people on the deal anymore. And in 2017, we saw a bit more of a, a ramp up but in preseason, so those are actually 60-day DL stints mm -hmm. that were announced prior to the season. So aforementioned, perhaps, Scalfani. Anyways, interesting, though, that there were more people going on to the DL earlier. And so take a look at these tables in DC. I've, I've put tables for the viewer that, um, for the viewer slash listener. You cannot see them. <laughs> look, at, look at the difference in the 60-day DL. Yeah, I was noticing that In 2017, a lot more people on the 60-day DL, which is insane. There are more people on the 60-day DL now than there were last year. What's going on with that? I really don't understand that. Well, we forget. 
everyone's thinking like, you know, the 15 day DL was too long, but perhaps it yeah. was actually too short for a lot of injuries. I see. So they had people rolling over and over and over on the 15. Yeah. Like rolling for way over the 15 day. I mean, that's going to be an impossible data set to find impossible to find in a good fashion is how long guys oh, that were on the 15 I'm not DL actually spent on the 15 day DL. Interesting though, that there are a lot more people on the 60 day DL uh, this season than I was expecting. I just thought that it was going to be proliferation of use on the 10 day DL mm-hmm. and more people on seven day DL this year as well. So do you think that's just a, I mean, that's a very specialized case. Do you think that I have a feeling that what, what I'm going to, find when i dig deeper is that more people um actually use the 15 day dl and then it just transferred over that they that they were put on the seven day dl and then they ended up using 15 days so they just transferred it over i see and so if they got transferred it doesn't count in this so this is just showing so guys are actually coming back after seven day dl yeah huh that's going to be we're we're going to see a little bit of movement there. Yeah, I'm 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 curious to see what that is. I mean, people so they'll put guys on the 7-day DL if they get hit in the head with a pitch, for instance, or Yeah, if they get hit in the head if they get the Yep. Those are the typical ones. That's interesting. Yep. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, what are the key takeaways? Not a lot that we can say for 2017 now. Our league was pretty fortuitous in that we implemented a rule change before the start of the season to add a DL spot, but it's a bit late for um, new spots at this point in most leagues. Uh, I think the big thing is to make sure that you aren't sitting on guys too long, um, (laughs) says the guy who owns Discalfani and has him on the DL and is taking up a roster spot, but whatever. Definitely... No wasting a roster spot on guys on the DL. So don't keep someone active. The one piece of concrete evidence, not evidence, advice that I want to give is don't sit on guys too long. We ran out of time to discuss Chris Cornell on the pod, but suffice to say he was an important musician to both of us. I think we're both pretty saddened to hear about his passing. Here's an outtake. We need an intern. An intern? Yeah, we need an intern. That's what the answer is. Yeah, Yeah, if anyone wants to be the Fantasy Tools intern. Man, that would not look good on a resume. The Fantasy (laughs) Tools intern. It's like, what, did you work at a sex shop? Excuse me? Oh, stop selling the short. (laughs) I promised to get down to the pitch-by-pitch level in terms of talking about stat stabilization. Get down on it. So we're looking at that this week. Get down on it. Of course, it's pretty hairy once you get down to the pitch-by-pitch level. Uh, But I had to figure, just looking at this roughly, a sample size of 600 has got to be good for something. There is information Mm -hmm. there. So guys who are coming to the plate, um, you know, the typical three times a game, have seen roughly 600 pitches by this point in the season. So what I've done is I just put together a really quick table looking at a few things. So here are the key statistics that I decided to pull out while looking at pitching. I looked at how many pitches guys are facing per plate appearance, including the standard deviation. So roughly between how many pitches you expect, how many pitches you expect a guy to see in a plate appearance, the maximum number of pitches that they've seen in a plate appearance, 
there and then just the regular statistics so total number of plate appearances how many pitches they've seen in total and what percentage of those were balls and now i'm counting everything that was hit in play as a strike here as well let's just get our bearings here the typical guy if you look at the league in general is seeing about four pitches per plate appearance yep so either side of those is interesting and there's a plus minus of a little under two. So the typical guy will see somewhere between two and six pitches in a plate appearance. The maximum tends to be eight to nine. Guys that have seen 10 and 11 pitch outings are doing something interesting at the plate. I'm actually using the maximum number to tell me something interesting about these guys. So did Pedroia show up on any of those? Yeah, lights that up. <laughs> of <And> then, course. <laughs> so then then I'm looking at the fraction of pitches that they've seen that are balls. And that's, that's of course, a little bit difficult because that's conflating both how pitchers are pitching to them and also how good their eye is. And so I'm only yeah. really looking at this if the numbers are just somewhere off um, off the charts. I actually picked a few, three favorite players to do a dive on. And I put these up here and let's, I want, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. So the three are DJ LeMahieu, who's made an appearance in a couple of recent pods. Justin Smoke, who I'm curious to know if you were, are in my head about why I picked him. And Aaron Judge. What are your thoughts about these guys just right off the top? Well, I think we, we both like DJ LeMahieu for who he is and you can't expect anything anything more from him but if you use him in the right way he is an amazing talent justin smoke was on your rights team for years and never amounted to anything i was really hoping to not talk about that but fine go ahead <laughs> you, oh come on you know my memory is the kind of memory that will remember that kind of stuff and then aaron judge is um godzilla this year but justin smoke has been you know being competent this year which is crazy yeah in in our league and in other leagues based on ownership numbers he's sort of the the best player that's consistently available or he's i should say he's the guy who's put up the best stats so far who appears to be consistently available and so i was thinking is there something there can we try and disentangle something from this sample size um, and I highlighted I highlighted a couple numbers here. Um, one, DJ the Mayhew, more than fifty percent of the pitches that he sees are balls. Keeping in mind, and Aaron Judge as well. Keeping in mind that that everything that's hit into play counts as a strike. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> like that's a that is a lot of balls. Why Why is that? Just a number that you can't even conceive of. That's so crazy to me. All of these guys, but, and then I'm interested to see that Aaron Judge is on the high side of how many pitches he sees per plate appearance. I think that you might be onto something here with guys that are just, that hit hard. You know, he's got sort of the Miguel Sano type profile where he's just like free swinging, making some connection with the ball and (laughs) it's not always in play. Yeah, exactly. So... I don't know. I think, I mean, there's stuff I would say that the thing that stands out to me, obviously, is the the fraction of balls that these guys are seeing. All three of them are seeing relatively high numbers. Do you think there's something there if you look at the fraction of, of balls that a guy is seeing? I mean, that seems artificially high, mm-hmm. especially for, I just quickly looked up DJ LeMahieu's swing and there's nothing about it that would indicate that he's not exactly Jose Altuve in terms of <laughs> <laughs> height or anything like that so right. he should be 
he should be seeing more. Anything above 50% is crazy because a, any pitcher has to throw 50% strikes to not walk every single person they see. So right. if you're seeing 56% balls, that is insane. Yeah, then, yeah, it, it really is. So maybe there's going to be some regression here in terms of like the pitches that they're seeing. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see if guys start approaching it differently. In particular, Aaron Judge, you know, first year in the majors, are people going to start adjusting to him? First full year in the majors, are people really going to start adjusting? Before the end of the year. So what I'm thinking about now is trying to tie this and use this sort of cursory metric here um, to the, our previous two weeks of study regarding launch speed and launch angle and looking at when those start to stabilize. Okay, so here's what I did. A common tactic in the analysis of stabilization is to divide the sample into X smaller samples and compare those against each other and see how the resulting distribution of those compares to itself and try and figure out when you can start to tease out the 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 full distribution okay start making some neural networks hopefully no way get out of here (laughs) (laughs) they will show up later Uh, listeners i know they will i i'm dreading the day (laughs) but (laughs) i've done this just cursory monte carlo style with launch angle and launch speed to try and make a couple statements about what we can expect so here's here's what I did. Going from least believable to most believable in terms of stabilization, I plotted the um, if you divide it into nine even segments. So you say, okay, let's divide it into nine segments and see how wild the distribution is. Then into four segments, and then the full distribution from 2017, and look at the histogram of launch speed versus frequency, basically. So how frequently they hit it like this. Um, and this has actually been been slightly organized differently. The least believable guy to me, Justin Smoke. I don't like how his distribution looks. It makes me worry that he's on the lucky side. And why do I say that? I say that because the the stabilization of both the the nine subdivisions and the four subdivisions is really wide they're basically consistent with a flat line, meaning the distribution would be, um, you you could draw it uniformly from a distribution. So there's nothing that suggests to me that he's hitting in the regime where you expect a lot of hits to come, right? So we talked previous mm-hmm. weeks about how if you're centering your hits around 90 or 100, you're going to be in that base hit or... Um, the hard hit singles category. Right, but he's getting a lot in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, and the same is true for Aaron Judge. And both of these guys have a huge um, array of launch angles too. So both their launch speeds and their launch angles are really spread. And that just worries Mm -hmm. me from a consistency perspective. And if if you contrast that to DJ LeMahieu, DJ LeMahieu, even when you divide it into nine even segments, has a peak at 90 miles an hour and a launch angle of 10, which is like a hard hit line drive every time. Yeah, which is exactly what you'd want from a slap hitter like him. That's right. And then Judge, that does, doesn't make any sense for Judge that he's getting hits at 70 miles per hour at mm-hmm. a launch angle between zero and 10 degrees. Yeah, and so... I look at those and I see his distribution is really wide and all over the map. And that worries me 
in terms of being able to predict what he can do going forward. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's a, that is something key to take out of here. That's not to say that he couldn't be really good going forward. You just can't use this to diagnose what kind of a hitter he's going to be going forward. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Whereas Justin Smoke, I think it's pretty clear <laughs> that you just you just get rid of every single one of his his hits that he got that are at a launch speed of less than 80 and then all of a sudden you have justin smoke again (laughs) that's yeah see that's what worries me is that in this you can see the you can see the underlying what we think justin smoke is distribution and then there's just like a few too many hits on top of it so i would say i mean i hate to make predictions but i'm gonna do it anyway because i've been so wrong so far this year justin smoke is about to cool off that's this is telling me that you know, his consistency is all over the place. There's nothing to indicate that he quote unquote found his swing this year or is doing something different. That's going to unlock something secret. So generally just to put this all together in terms of takeaways, I think that this is going to be a useful tool Uh, looking at pitch by pitch and outcome of plate appearance by outcome of plate appearance. I think we're onto something here for assessing the streakiness and we've done a first stab here at looking at when things start to stabilize. And it's telling us that, there's wildly different stabilization times based on different pitchers. But I'm still going to keep trying to push this to pitch by pitch level. It looks like that is applicable for some players. We might just have to revise which players that's actually applicable for and come up with a metric that tells us who we can trust and when. All right, you want to wrap this sucker up? Yeah. You know, summer is a great time for road trips. You have something planned up your sleeve this summer? I may have something planned. I have two trips that i want to do um mm. one is to the boundary waters mm. which seems like of course a very long and arduous trip to do it right six hours driving to get there yeah yeah six hours of driving to get there get back mosquitoes <laughs> middle of nowhere all these things i also want to go to lake itasca oh you got to do Itasca. I know, right? You got to walk across the Mississippi on the stones, man. That's it. That is the thing to do. Really? That's the thing to do. Yeah, you cross them. They've got they've got stones sunk in because it's just a stream. You just walk across the little stones there. Oh, you got to do it, man. <laughs> okay. Well, I I am looking forward to that. So I'm gonna have to plan plan that road trip at one point. I think that was one of the one of the early breaking points in uh, in our relationship when we were becoming roommates and you're like, who the fuck is this guy from, from New Hampshire? And we were talking and you were very uh, New England-centric viewpoint over here. And then I said something about Lake Itasca and you're like, how do you know what Lake Itasca is? So, well, you know, I mean, it's, I'm a geographer, so I know that's the source of the Mississippi River. You're all, you're pretty upset, and I talked about Lake Minnetonka all the time. So also true. <laughs> How do you feel about this NBA playoffs narrative? You mean the narrative, like the, the narrative, the inevitable, the narrative, Warriors v Cavs three. Oh no, that is now a subplot. The narrative of the NBA playoffs right now is that they suck. Um, I you think that the, I think that. Uh, which one is the subplot of which one? Because they're so related. Because both teams are 
both the Warriors and the Cavs are just so finals focused on some level. Right. Manifesting itself in different ways. For instance, the Celtics um, win win on Sunday, um, which I would attribute to the Cavs just <laughs> thinking that it was a good idea to let Kevin Love go for the three record. <laughs> their overconfidence is their weakness. It really was. Yeah. So, but I mean, I agree that the first two rounds, I mean, the best the best series was the Bullets and Celtics. I mean, if the Spurs did win a game here, that would make things pretty... If, I mean, if if either of these two series got to six games... Do you need to, do you need to record the, uh, the side version? Because this is going to come out after the Spurs have been swept. <laughs> no, no, we did that last week. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out, right? Yeah, it worked out pretty well last week. Yeah, no one noticed. No one noticed. All right, well, I think that brings us to our review session meat raffles you texted me out of the blue have we not done meat raffles yet last week (laughs) (laughs) which clearly weighed heavily on your mind that you needed my opinion on meat raffles but i don't know why you needed my opinion you already knew what my opinion was gonna be why are you even asking me (laughs) okay for all of our listeners who are not from minnesota (laughs) <laughs> Mike, can you explain what a meat raffle is? I mean, meat raffles happen happen anywhere. I mean, but meat raffles are like if you took the New England concept of a 50-50 and instead of getting money at the end, you got meat. <laughs> That's like the closest you can get to approximating what a meat raffle is. You know, instead of being like, I'm going to take this money, they were just like, we're going to give you that much meat. Come on, how do you not do it? So, as soon as you get, like, a second outside of the Twin Cities, like, every single bar (laughs) out in front of it has, like, a sign that's, like, Thursday night, meat raffle. (laughs) Just, and, and last year I spent a little bit more time in um, rural Minnesota, which is, like, five seconds outside of the suburbs, and... I saw this sign. It, the first time I saw it, I was like, what the heck is a meat raffle? Like, that must be, a, you know, whatever they're doing, that must be an interesting one-time thing. And then I saw a million other signs. I was like, what is this meat raffle thing? Oh, yes. I, I assumed that it was like, I mean, my assumption was it was the first time that I saw it, I was like, okay, someone is partnering with a local smokehouse and they have like ribs or some such other delicacy and they're doing a meat raffle of this and they're trying to raise money for the local (laughs) what a generous thought what a generous thought thank you for having such a high opinion of us (laughs) all right great okay well we got nowhere near the bottom of meat raffles um (laughs) again i am ambivalent mike is very for meat raffles Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send messages to fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. All I've got left is, worst luck to you, buddy.
or select to you too.